So it's my great pleasure now to introduce our next speaker. Gloria Steinem was considered the face of the women's liberation movement in the 1970s and played a major behind the scenes role in the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, she's been advocating for women's rights for 55 years. Her words helped shape the narrative surrounding equality and they still resonate very much today. In this conversation, we're going to focus on why diversity is important and why it's important for investors in particular. We're going to look at why it impacts society and business and investments so fundamentally. And we're going to look at why there is still so much to do. But before I bring uh, Gloria onto the screen, we've put together a very, very short video just to uh, anchor you in um, the work that she's done uh, over the last few decades. Uh, here's Gloria Steinem. Hello, Gloria. Nice to, to see you and thanks for joining us from California. Thank you so much. Across all the distance, wonderful to see you again. Yes, absolutely. Now, Gloria, um, let me start with some comments from um, Antonio Gortres, uh, obviously the UN Secretary, Secretary General, who said, achieving gender equality and empowering women and girls is the unfinished business of our time and the greatest human rights challenge in our world. Now you've been fighting this fight since the 1960s, but these words by Mr. Gautrez weren't made decades ago. They're only made two years ago, in fact. Um, so why do you think this is st such still unfinished business? How do you define this unfinished business? And probably equally as interesting, why is it still unfinished? Why are there still so many challenges in getting this job done? You know, I think that the racial and gender divisions in the world were for a very long time viewed to be natural, inevitable, desirable, religious, uh, all kinds of deep uh, divisions which were thought to be uh, separate from financial uh, possibilities and decisions. And it has taken us a long time to realize that uh, money is uh, just one form of value. There are many other forms of value and to waste the talents, the full human talents of half the world and uh, more than half, if one also includes uh, racial bias and class bias, uh, was uh, punishing absolutely everyone but thanks to the end of colonialism, to the social justice movements and, and women's revolutionary movements around the world, we've begun to see that the quality of life is not just measured in numbers. 
Gloria, you've never shied away from political activism and, and, and being political. I might turn to, to the US for a moment. Can you describe to us the collective energy in the US now uh, under a democratic leadership and, and President Biden and what's been left in the wake of President Trump when it comes to issues of diversity? What, are, what is being dealt with now um, that maybe is not as obvious as, as perhaps it, it should be? Um, and what are the challenges that left by uh, that four years uh, of his presidency? You know, uh, this country is at a moment of transition from majority white to majority people of color. And there was among, and probably still is, among a, a, not a majority, but a percentage, a substantial percentage of the country, a feeling of at least insecurity uh, and uh, worry about this transfer of power and so on. And so there was a, a kind of uh, a rebellion that Trump, of, of the white minority, you might say, that was worried about this, um, that supported Trump. Trump, as you will remember, was not elected even by majority vote. It was a kind of fluke of our electoral college. But nonetheless, there he was in the White House representing this rebellion. And perhaps you saw it on television more recently in the uh, gang of uh, rebellious white guys who tried to actually invade the Capitol. All right. <laughs> I thought that was quite useful in a way for the whole country and the world to see uh, visually because as someone who has wandered around this country for 40 or 50 years, uh, it, it was always evident in, in, you know, you would go to rural removed parts of the country, there were guys guarding their ranches uh, with guns. Uh, and I would come back to New York and say, you know, there are these, <laughs> right? And people would say, oh no, you know, it doesn't count. And, and now, now we've seen that. And I think that is an important note of realism, but uh, Trump did not, and the, those rebellious folks did not represent the majority, but we are in transition. Keeping in mind our uh, listeners today are asset owners, so large institutional investors, predominantly pension funds, and, and the political climate's important to them, particularly where it spills over to things like populism that impacts the global economy that might have you know in a lasting impact on democracy and and issues that really do um, you know fundamentally shift the way that the global economy works so I want to ask you about you know some some of your views around that sort of you know the state of democracy and particularly how issues of intersectionality play into the polarization of political views and how issues of diversity and um, and difference um, really are kind of, you know, dictating that, those, that, that polarisation and, and why you think that's important and, and what it looks like from, from your point of view. It's a, it's a complex question, um, but, it, but I think it's a really important question when it comes to the political, political climate. Well, I would say, first of all, uh, we should think about the term polarisation, which tends to give us a 50-50 notion and certainly in this country, and I think in most countries, the resistance to 
multicultural, multi-religious democracy uh, is not 50-50, uh, certainly not in this country. It, at most, I would say it's 30-70. But uh, Trump represented the, the third or so of the country that is white and far more male than female in public opinion polls that is resisting the fact that we are about to become a majority non-white country uh, and resisting many other changes. And by a, f a fluke, as I was saying, of our electoral system, even though he did not represent the majority, he was momentarily, I'm sorry to say, in the White House. You might say COVID was in the White House. I mean, it was kind of felt like that. Uh, but now we're back to a majority uh, democratic rule. And I hope to moving forward. Um, and to a general understanding too, as I see reflected, and I've been you know watching at least a bit of your conference, that we want to put our money where our values are. It is not just about adding up numbers, it's about quality of life and equality and democracy as well. And this is a sustainability investment event. Um, and so, you know, the, the notion of sustainability, how, how do you think diversity fits in as a topic within the broader scope or the broader theme of, of sustainability? How is it that diversity impacts sustainability from your point of view? Well, it, it, I think at its most simple common sense level, it is releasing the talents of everybody, not just some people. And uh, a realistic view of living life <laughs> as it really is. I mean, in a broad historical sense, we probably started out with colonialism, which was a completely hierarchical notion uh, that had to do with European, some European values and religions invading the new world, so to speak, and subordinating the new world and looking at it as a source of wealth for others. And since then, we've, all, we've you know, tried, uh, most groups, I would say, have been trying gradually to democratize that and to see us all as um, of equal value. You know, in, in the United States and perhaps in Australia too, the original inhabitants were organized in a circular model, not a hierarchical model before uh, the European more hierarchical model came along. And in a sense, we're trying to get back to that in a, in a new way so that we become individuals without adjectives, without gender, without race, without class. And the, we understand that each individual human being is unique, could never have happened before, could never happen again but that the humanity uh, is the point. And in an odd way, I think COVID is helping us realize that. COVID does not care, you know, what our sex or race or class or nationality is. I and uh, I hope this is something positive that we can take out of this 
global crisis. Yeah, just a couple of points on that. Uh, you famously said, a feminist is anyone who recognises the equality and full humanity of women and men. So it's actually not necessarily just, just about women. But I do want to pick up on that um, point that you made about the hierarchical system. And one of the things that you've mentioned to me in the past is that, that women are, are less hierarchical when, when they're in leadership roles. And do you think this is one of the sort of benefits of more women leaders is that it's a different, a different way of leading. And so, um, you know, that adds benefit by its diversity and, and, and pure nature. Yes, no, I, I do. I don't think that it is biological. I mean, there's nothing superior about women. Uh, it is cultural. And because our model of, of behavior and leadership tends to be more rooted in the family, and there is uh, a concern for the welfare of each person, regardless of age and ability in the family, uh, unlike the, the more military corporate hierarchical model, we tend to bring that with us into leadership. And that is um, quite useful. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, again, one of the interesting benefits uh, long term, I think, of the COVID crisis is that men have been more likely to be at home and to take care of children and see children and, uh, you know, be present in the household. So I think that will uh, have an impact on masculine culture, too, and help us to equalize what up to now has been uh, mainly if, or more a female experience. Yeah, I just want to focus on on the financial services industry for a moment. That's where our audience audience resides globally, and there's been a, um, a couple of surveys with sort of looking into the percentage of women in leadership roles. And one uh, says that it's only 21.9% of women in leadership roles in the financial services sector globally. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. What would you say to this audience with regards to their own organisations and how they can help to promote diversity, but also importantly, where the uh, capital that they invest can be directed to, to help promote diversity issues? And um, just want to also add in a, a question that's come from our audience uh, from Marlene Puffer, who is the one of the uh, one of those 21.9% uh, women who is in a leadership position. She's the CEO of the CN Investments um, in Canada, which, which manages money for the Canadian Railways Pension. Um, and she says, what advice does Ms Steinem have for women in the investment industry, specifically to influence the status of women and girls globally? Advice in our day, today interactions within our business, as well as in terms of our ability to influence where capital is directed. So it's those two things that I mentioned their own organisations, but also where they direct capital and how they can use their influence. What are your views mm -hmm. and advice, really, uh, to, to the industry? Well, to, to look at, especially in terms of long-term sustainability uh, and just uh, use of human talent right now, to look at equality by gender, by race, by class, as part of one's assessment of of any of any investment so um 
It might be as immediate, for instance, as do you, I, I don't know if you remember the uh, Nestle boycott because there was an aggressive marketing of um, a substitute for breast milk. Do you remember that? The, anyway, the, you know, the, so there was an attempt really to, uh, to, to, to market something that was unhealthy, unequal, not universal, you know, or so on, uh, to every culture, uh, which crashed, you know, because people were not looking, you know, at, at uh, what the product actually was doing and recommending and pushing on, on the culture. So I, I suppose it's a full circle look rather than a simply one measurable in numbers. You make it sound so simple, Gloria. Uh, you know, look at people as individuals. <laughs> look at their, you know, re regardless of, of, of labels or, or adjectives and look at your investments in a holistic way. Uh, I mean, what, what have you encountered over the years in terms of the behavioural barriers to this simplicity, which you describe, which, you know, it does, it does sound so easy when you, when you look at it in simple terms, but clearly there's behavioural barriers. I'm not suggesting it's easy, you know, that's why we have social justice movement, <laughs> but it is simple, you know, because it is true, you know, that's, <laughs> um, but the, the, the barriers um, are functional and also I, I would say a big barrier is the lack of making connection. Because for instance, uh, the, the idea of national security has been viewed as armies and economics that, you know, measurable on paper, hierarchical <laughs> uh, elements, when actually, as has been demonstrated, there's quite a, a wonderful book called Sex and World Peace, which demonstrates this at length, that the single most important element in whether a country will be willing to dominate or even use military violence against another country is not economics, not employment, not you know any of the usual things. It's the structure of the family because there is where we first get the idea that hierarchy is inevitable and natural. And the, the equality of women and lack of violence is very important in the household. And, and in the neighborhood, you know, is, is a far uh, more reliable measure of the absence of national aggression and, and national poverty and so on. So that's, you know, that's at least a bigger, not just individual way of, or not only individual way of looking at it. Yeah, and I mean, that speaks to, a, to another thing in the financial services industry, obviously uses a lot of data and relies on a lot of data for decision making. And there's more discussion now about uh, obviously data around ESG and, and, and sort of more non-financial issues and also uh, data around diversity and, and the impact that's being made um, around those issues. So we're starting to see data and, and as you sort of mentioned, looking at things a little bit differently um, feed into some of these investment decisions. We've only got a few, minute, few minutes left and there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about your 
your huge career, your absolutely um, ginormous impact that you've that you've made on you know on myself personally, and but certainly on the on the women's movement. So you know, after so many years, you know, what what's your favourite story that you encountered? Uh, you know, out on the um, rallies or, or the p people that you spoke to. Can you give us a little bit of um, uh, an insight into you know the thrill of it all, I guess, and um, and what what it was like as as uh, you know you were making inroads all those years ago? Well, the the thrill of it all is that it's not individual. The thrill of it all is that I can walk through an airport, <laughs> and there's a kind of uh, we there's a kind of instant communication among strangers uh, and a, a, a the beginning of getting rid of adjectives you know of, of, of looking at each other as as individuals and and also uh, this may sound distant but I think it's important the presence of laughter it turns out <laughs> because I think movements are viewed as you know sort of serious and full of anger and so on but actually, it turns out that laughter is the only free emotion. You can compel fear, obviously, and you can even compel love in a sense of people thinking they're in love because they're dependent for long enough. And in order to survive, they bond you know, with their oppressor, so to speak. Uh, but laughter cannot be compelled. And old cultures, the, our Native American cultures, perhaps yours too, have uh, figures and gods, and or one might say that represent laughter, because uh, it is the one thing you can't compel. So, so I would say the most underestimated, undervalued uh, thing about social justice movements is that uh, that there's laughter you know that there's enjoyment freedom living in the moment you can't live in the past you can't live in the future hello you can only live in the moment and and the ability to laugh is the proof of that Gloria I hope I hope you don't mind me uh, pointing this out but you're 86 years old you've been um, doing this for a very long time and um, about 20 minutes, I'm going to be 87. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Um, the month I'll be 87, uh, right. Um, but, but what continues to drive you? I mean, you know, we, we have so many people in our industry who have also been, you know, doing great things for, for their members. They manage money on behalf of other people and they're compelled to, to do a good job so that their members can can retire with dignity and, um, and, and good account balances. What, what is it that keeps you going after so many years? Is it, is it the fact that I mentioned at the outset that this is still unfinished business? Um, what is it that, that propels you to, to keep moving and, and keep fighting this fight? You know, fortunately, I'm, I'm part of a, a social justice movement, uh, so no one can fire me. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't retire from a social justice movement. So I think uh, there are, are, and our idea of retirement and the age of retirement has changed a great deal, right? And it continues to move up anyway. Uh, so I think as long as we can function, as long as we have our marbles, as long as we, our advice is useful, 
that that is the, the only measure and that we will continue to dispense with uh, retirement age and I think age of beginning work too because you know there are uh, all kinds of uh, teenage geniuses who should be who obviously are, are very functional that the the idea of, of functionality uh, will surpass the idea the measures of, of age somewhat like those of race and class so Gloria if you could give one parting um, message to the asset owners or the institutional investors uh, who are listening to you today what's what's one thing they can do within their own organizations or within uh, the investments that they that they hold and the companies that they invest in what what's the one thing that they can actively do uh, to promote diversity um, and help to create change what's their one takeaway for today mm. Ah, that's so hard. <laughs> uh, I would say doing away with adjectives, looking at substance, content, what's really happening, uh, looking at, at, at nouns, <laughs> shall we say, uh, and at individual unique human beings and situations with a minimum of... Um, assumption about predictability or hierarchy or uh, what what to expect. And, and, and the other thing I think is to understand that change is like a tree. Trees do not grow from the top down. They grow from the bottom up. So the questions of uh, culture in a particular organization or what's going on in, you know, what, what, whatever it is, should be uh, can be best measured by what is happening at the root of that whether uh, it's hierarchy or age or whatever whatever it is in in that situation and to remember that if you can't laugh you're probably in the wrong place <laughs> all right well that's certainly a good takeaway for me i'm going to do much more much more laughing as you say it's a it's a free emotion and I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us. Congratulate you on, on everything you've achieved, including, as we saw in the photos, the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom that uh, was awarded to you by President Obama. Um, thank you very much for your wisdom and uh, for your ongoing efforts um, in, in social justice. And thanks for spending some time with us today, Gloria. Well, I thank you so much. And it, it is uh, inspiring to see uh, women in leadership as I do by looking at you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gloria. <laughs>